Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Of course, I am Fansided National NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. Big show on tap. A little bit later on, we'll chat with Notre Dame wide receiver and NFL draft hopeful Kevin Austin Jr. Get his thoughts on the direction of the Fighting Irish, his pre-draft process, and a really interesting conversation about why wide receivers are so immediately ready to be such immediate impact players in the NFL today, whereas if you think back to five, ten years ago, it really took three years for NFL wide receivers to hit their stride. And this has really been a week, really a 10-day period since the start of free agency, where we've seen the league really change how it values the wide receiver position and the latest move of course the blockbuster trade between the miami dolphins the kansas city chiefs that netted the dolphins tyreek hill for five draft picks going back to kansas city we'll break down the implications of that trade on both teams what it means for the rest of the league and the big implications of that move overall on the wide receiver position we'll get into all of that my biggest winners and losers of free agency and a whole lot more But before we do, as always, just a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to Stacking the Box in the Apple Podcast Store, SoundCloud, Spreaker. Give us a like on YouTube. You get two great podcasts for the price of none. You get Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen on Stacking the Box every Tuesday. And each Friday afternoon, you get the Matt Lombardo Show podcast right to your podcast platform, your iPhone, your Android, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy my podcast specifically, please go into the Apple Podcast Store and leave a five-star review for Stacking the Box and mention the Matt Lombardo Show. It really helps grow the show. Let me know what you like, maybe something you disagree with, maybe a guest or two that you're interested in hearing from, and I'll go and try to get them on. So with that being said, let's just jump right into the move of the week and really it's been one of the more frenetic NFL off seasons that we've had 
as long as I can remember. And I think a lot of this is based upon the Super Bowl moving back a week. It truncates everything. It kind of forces teams to make moves quicker. But this week, of course, the blockbuster trade that really reshaped, in my opinion, the way teams value the wide receiver position is the blockbuster trade between the Dolphins and Chiefs, where the Dolphins gave up five draft picks, including a first round pick this year, for Tyreek Hill. Now, Tyreek Hill, and I spoke to an executive right after the trade, he told me flat out, Tyreek Hill, if you take the quarterbacks off the table, he's a top five player in this league. You talk to scouts around the league, he has world-class speed, which we all see with the naked eye. But what that means is when he was in that offense with Travis Kelsey, when he had Patrick Mahomes, when they didn't really have those other wide receivers operating underneath, he commanded bracket coverage, which opened things up for Kelsey to do his things. And he was a legitimate top three weapon in the league as far as yards after the catch per reception. He averaged four yards after the catch per reception last year. And for the Chiefs, you know, if you can't lock him up, if you can't sign him to that four-year mega extension because of cap issues later on down the line, then this was a great move. You know, you think about what's happened at the receiver position over the last several weeks. You look at the $85 million plus that the Jacksonville Jaguars paid Christian Kirk. When you look at the two draft picks that the Las Vegas Raiders traded Devontae Adams and the deal that they gave him. When you look at the contract that Zay Jones commanded from the Jaguars. When you look at all of these things happening, it's very clear that wide receiver is now a premium position in the NFL right there alongside quarterback, right there along offensive tackle, and right there alongside cornerback in the eyes of teams and executives around the league. And the Chiefs now, if you're looking at what they need to do from here, obviously you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who's going to be a very versatile guy, and you, they went out and they Sign Marquez Valdez-Scandling, he's a guy that's going to replace Demarcus Robinson as that number three option or that number four option in the offense. But you look at what they need to do from here, they're kind of in a great spot because you get all of the draft capital in the trade with the Dolphins. And you now have two first round picks that you can either sit there and take two of the best players available to drop into a roster that went to the AFC Championship game each of the last four years, that went to two Super Bowls in the last three seasons. Or you can be Brett Veach on draft night and you can look across the landscape of how the board is playing out. And if you believe that Chris Olave is an ideal fit for what you're trying to do, you can trade two picks to go up and get him. If you believe that Jamison Williams is a can't-miss talent coming off of the injury, you can move up and you can go and get him. If you think that Jahan Dotson is the most similar talent to Tyreek Hill in this class because of his speed and yards after the catch ability and his ability to take the top off a of defense and you just have to have him, you can move up now with that added draft capital to go and get your guy to drop into that offense, but what you need is speed. You need to figure out, if you're Brett Veach, who's the speedster in this, in this draft class? Who's the guy that you can drop into that scheme and can do what Tyreek Hill did? Now, obviously, I don't think anybody in this year's draft class as a rookie or otherwise can do what Tyreek Hill did in those final 13 seconds against Buffalo and in overtime. I don't know that anybody's going to make that play. But you can find a young receiver who's cheaper, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who's an upgrade over anybody else not named Travis Kelsey in that collection of skill players around Patrick Mahomes. You drop a rookie receiver on a first-round contract, 
you can kind of keep the train going and you can use free agency next year to target the best available wide receiver to once again in the draft next year go and get another wide receiver if you feel you need to keep building around Patrick Mahomes but Mahomes is still a top three to top four quarterback in this league that's what's really going to elevate whichever wide receiver the Chiefs draft and kind of soften the blow of trading away Tyreek Hill but you look at the flip side of this trade, and you look at what the Miami Dolphins have done all offseason. They go out, and just before making this trade, they make Teron Armstead the highest-paid offensive lineman in the history of the game. He's a top-three offensive tackle in the league, and you got him in free agency. They went out early on in free agency, and they signed Connor Williams to bolster the interior of the offensive line in front of Tua. They went out and they got a speedy, versatile, pass-catching running back in Chase Edmonds. You already had Jalen Waddle, and now you drop Tyreek Hill into a wide receiving core and tight end group that includes Tyreek Hill, Devontae Parker, Cedric Wilson, Jalen Waddle, who was a first-round pick top 10 talent a year ago, and Mike Kosicki at tight end. All of a sudden, with an improved offensive line, with all of those weapons, it's not only now or never time for Tua Tagovailoa, the pressure is on him to show that he can be a top 10 to top 15 quarterback in this league, but the Dolphins are in the conversation now, at least in my opinion, right alongside the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. They've surpassed Mac Jones, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots because there's so much talent on offense, and I tend to think that Tua can play. I tend to think that it was an inconsistent supporting cast around him that let him down. And Tyreek Hill does so many things that fit what Tua does so well, almost to a T. You look at the fact that you can now send Tyreek Hill on short little out routes over the middle of the field. You can send him on shallow crossers with Devontae Parker. You can send both Jalen Waddle and Mike Kosicki on nine routes, and you can have Tyreek Hill run a post, a skinny post underneath. And you can get the ball out quickly into his hands, and he can turn up field and make a big play for you that keeps the chains moving, and you're going to stay ahead of schedule. That's how teams win. That's how quarterbacks, regardless of skill set overall, can have success when they get the ball out of their hand quickly into the hands of their playmakers and let them do the rest, that's now what the Miami Dolphins can do. And you look at what Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan's offense has been, both from their time in Atlanta with Matt Ryan and last year and the year prior with Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco, I could really envision the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel building an offense where Tyreek Hill is the Debo Samuel, where you're going to send him in motion and you're going to get the ball in his hand quickly. You're going to line him up in the backfield from time to time. You're going to stretch the field when there's the opportunity to. And if you can't get the ball there, if, if he draws the safety and he draws the bracket coverage, now you have Mike Kosicki, who's a slot receiver playing tight end on a shallow crossing route, who can make a play after the catch in his own right. It all comes down to Tua. But I think Tua has the chance to have real success in this offense, in this scheme, with this talent around him. And if he does, look out for the Dolphins. They're going to be a team that's going to be a really tough out in an AFC that's loaded with tough outs. This was a move that if the Dolphins were serious about contending, they absolutely had to make. When you look at the Chiefs, when you look at what the Broncos did by bringing in Russell Wilson, when you look at the Raiders getting Devontae Adams, when you look at the Chargers loading up on both sides of the ball around Justin Herbert, who might be the second or third best quarterback in the entire league, when you look at what Cincinnati did, and we'll get to them a little bit later on in the podcast in depth, what they did continue building around Joe Burrow to set themselves up to draft the best player available in the draft next month. If the Miami Dolphins wanted to compete, 
they needed to go and get Tyreek Hill. But you look at what the league is telling you now with all of these moves. When you look at the Devontae Adams trade that we touched on earlier, when you look at the money the Jaguars threw around, and you look at the package that the Miami Dolphins paid, all of a sudden, wide receiver is the premier position behind quarterback and maybe offensive tackle. And you're giving guys like Devontae Adams top 15 quarterback money, top 20 quarterback money to play wide receiver. It's now a premium position in this league. Teams are telling you that they value wide receiver. And it's always been a passing league, at least for the past half decade, but the onus was on having the quarterback. I think what you're starting to see is teams are realizing there are only so many Patrick Mahomes. There are only so many Joe Burrows. There are only so many Josh Allens and Justin Herberts that you need the elite players around your quarterbacks if they aren't a top five guy. And this is going to be a great experiment because I think Derek Carr is probably a top 15 quarterback in this league. Tua Tagovailoa probably around number 20 going into this league, going into this season. But they've bolstered the supporting cast around both of these guys. We're going to really see if the money that was spent on these guys is going to be worth it. And we brought up Debo Samuel. Eventually, the 49ers are going to have a decision to make there. Are they going to resign him? Are they going to extend him? And if I'm San Francisco, the answer is obviously yes. He's a top three or four weapon, let alone top 10 wide receiver, maybe better than that. It's almost like if you're going to turn the page to Trey Lance and you're looking at what all these other teams are doing at the position to support their quarterbacks and raise their ceilings, you raise Trey Lance's ceilings by keeping Debo Samuel and loading up in the NFL draft at wide receiver to complement him and put as many weapons as you can around him. You don't let talent like that go. So I think that wide receivers that are coming up for extensions this offseason, yeah, you you might want to get the deal done now while the market's hot, or you wait until next year and you could be the guy that signs the 90 to $95 million contract because the salary cap is going up. But regardless, we're now seeing the trend that wide receivers are among the most valued positions in the league. And one of those receivers who's looking to cash in and be the next guy to cash in later on down the line is Notre Dame wide receiver Kevin Austin Jr. He joins me next right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Sack in the Box podcast feed. Welcome back in. And this is going to be a really fun conversation as the NFL draft approaches. One of the more fascinating wide receiver prospects in this draft class, Notre Dame's Kevin Austin Jr. joins us. Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Really appreciate you taking some time with us here. And, you know, just watching your film and looking through your stat book and all of those things, what really jumped off the page for me is the fact that you averaged over 18 yards per reception a year ago. You caught seven touchdowns. And you look at what you were able to do in that offense. You were one of the more dynamic playmakers the Irish put out there last season. What made you realize that this was the time to throw your hat in the ring and go to the NFL draft? Yeah, I would say, you know, throughout this season, you know, I was, you know, accomplishing all those, you know, accolades. And um, I, I graduated this uh, past season in three and a half years, which was a big goal for me. And so, you know, I felt like I was mentally and physically ready to compete with the best of them. And so I wanted to show that. Was there somebody that you guys played in the last couple of years, maybe a defensive back or whether it was just a, a defensive look that you were getting, that you had a really big game against and you figured, okay, I can do this. I can thrive at the next level. I can stand out. Was there a moment or a game for you where that kind of stuck out for you? 
Well, I wouldn't say there was a moment where a game, I would say just throughout the season, I felt like I was consistently just getting better and getting more like to myself. Um, throughout the years at Notre Dame, I felt like I was always a consistent playmaker. And I felt like, you know, if I would have been able to play, I would have been able to show that. So I, I say that throughout the, this this past season, I say I showed that. And so I felt like I was ready to ready to do that. And if it wasn't enough for you to have a really impressive season and really leave a mark on the program on your way out the door, you go to Indianapolis in the NFL Combine, and in the 40-yard dash, you run a 4-4-1. You're ninth among receivers in the 40. You had the fastest three-cone drill among receivers in Indianapolis, second fastest short shuttle. What was the biggest key for your success once you got to the Combine? I would say just to, you know, stand out with the best of them, stand out, you know, with the best guys in the country that are at the combine. And so I, I felt like I had, um, you know, the opportunity to showcase my abilities and I did that. And so I felt like I was really happy with the things that I did at the combine. I felt like the, those were the goals that I kind of, you know, hit. So I'm happy with those. How big was the chip on your shoulder though? Because, you know, this is the first year you've been fully healthy. You battled through some injuries and you get to the combine did you feel like you had to prove not only that you belonged, but that you were healthy enough to put up the kind of numbers that you put up and ultimately stand out to these scouts and coaches and executives around the league? Well, no, yeah, for sure. I felt like I had the opportunity to, you know, get in front of these coaches and get in front of the, you know, some of the people that might not have looked into me before. And so, you know, getting to the interviews and getting into the uh, combine uh, running and catching all the stuff that we did, I felt like th those opportunities helped me in the, in the long run in terms of them looking at me and helping, you know, my draft stock, hopefully. Where do you train for the for the combine? Because you know, you talk to people and you know athletes. I'm always curious where you train, where the big training centers are. Who did you work with going into this? So yeah, I was at um, um, Exos in Arizona, and then recently I worked with a uh, premier athlete, Sly Johnson. He's in uh, South Florida. Man, Exos really just turns them out. Man, every year it feels like there's three or four top prospects to train there. Who who'd you work out with? And did any of those alumni come back and go through the process with you while you were training? Well, yeah, I would say some of the guys that were with me do, throughout the combine uh, process were just like uh, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, you know, Wanda Robinson, Charleston Rambo, guys that, you know, um, all went to the combine and, you know, we all did really, really well. So I would say, um, you know, it was great being around those guys and being able to learn. So not just you, but some of your Notre Dame teammates have the chance to go pretty high in the draft next month. You look at Kieran Williams. He's a player whose numbers at the Combine seem might not to live up to the expectations going in, but you've seen him in South Bend. What's he going to bring to an NFL backfield at the next level? I mean, he's a competitive, you know, beast. He's going to prove to every single person, you know, it doesn't matter about all the numbers and stuff. You know, he plays football. He's a football player, and he's going to show that he's a playmaker at every single level. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a dog. He has that dog mentality, and he's going to bring that to any NFL team that he goes to. And Kyle Hamilton, you know, a lot of people consider him to be one of the greatest safety prospects to ever enter the draft, maybe in the last 25, 30 years. You watched him in practice the last three years. Was there a moment where you knew that he was just built different, that he was special? And do you think he's in the conversation to be the top player at that position, regardless of uh, how the board shakes out? 
Yeah, 100%. I, I tell everybody, you know, Kyle's one of the best defensive players in the in the draft this this uh, this year. And throughout this, you know, the years that I've been with him at Notre Dame, you know, even as a freshman, his first practice, he came in and caught a whole bunch of picks. And everybody was like, wow, look at this dude as a freshman balling. So, you know, you just knew he was different. And he, he brought that and he showed that in every practice and in every game. And so, you know, any NFL team that gets him, he's going he's gonna to show that his, you know, at, at um, his adverse, I mean, his versatility and his smartness throughout um, throughout the defense. He's going to be able to, you know, compete at a very high level. What were those battles like for you guys? Because I'm sure you probably in practice had to go over the middle a couple times. I'm sure that they shaded coverage to your side of the field a couple times in practice. What, what were those battles like on the practice field between you and Kyle? Oh no, yeah, it was it was a battle for sure. You know, we competed every single day, and it was always great being able to go against you know a uh, great safety. You know, he always always wanted to go against me being being a receiver that always uh, gave him competition. So I felt like we always gave it a battle, and it was always a great time. What you learn from those those matchups? I would say just, you know, his versatility, like I said, yeah. you know, he's he's very long and he's very fast um, and he he's smart. Like I said, you know, based off your alignment, based off certain things that you're about to do, he can kind of tell what routes you're about to do or eliminate some routes. So it's just things that you might have to disguise going against him, trying to, you know, uh, trying to get open. And obviously this was a pretty unique year for Notre Dame. Brian Kelly leaves South Bend, goes to LSU. Marcus Freeman, you know, he looked more than ready to step into the top job, not only after what he did for the Fighting Irish defense last year, but we've all seen the videos of how the team reacted when he was promoted to head coach. What makes Marcus such an elite head coach and a rising star? Because just watching from the outside looking in, he seems like he has all the intangibles to be one of the top coaches in the country. Yeah, I would say just him being so personable, like to every single you know player that's on um, that's um, playing under him. You know, everyone wants to play for Coach Freeman because he know we all know that he would you know care for every single person, and so I feel like you know he's going to do great things for this program and he's going to really enhance everything that we do. You know, Notre Dame's already a great place and a great program, but him being there is really just going to you know increase everything that and all the possibilities and opportunities that they're going to be able to have next year. You know, they're going to be able to really compete at a high level with him, you know, coaching. And you're hoping to be the next Notre Dame wide receiver drafter, but you look in the NFL and Chase Claypool, he's a guy who's obviously carving out a really nice niche for himself in, in Pittsburgh. He's viewed as one of the best young receivers in the game. And now that Juju Smith-Schuster's off to Kansas City, he's going to have an even bigger role in the Steelers offense. Has he given you any advice at all about how to navigate this pre-draft process? What, what's your guys' relationship like? You know, yeah, it's great. You know, Chase is like a big brother to me because, you know, he, he played here and I watched him really compete at a high level. And so, you know, watching him be in the NFL and compete at the same level that he was at here and even a higher level at the NFL, it's just great. You know, before the draft, I texted him and I just wanted some advice and he gave me some. And that was really great about just, you know, staying focused and staying, you know, yourself throughout this process because it can get overwhelming. But at the same time, you know, just being yourself can get you through it. So it was great having him there and also, you know, Miles Boykin. For sure. Yeah. And for you personally, who's the wide receiver in the NFL that you pattern your game after the most? I would say growing up, it was Julio Jones, just because, you know, physical attributes and speed and stuff. I just felt like um, I just wanted to emulate his game. And it was just, you know, just a great person to watch. No doubt. And one of the all time greats, probably going to go to the Hall of Fame one day. And, you know, you look around and we're seeing guys like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell. Chase Claypool, Devontae Smith, all these young receivers, 
they seem to be coming into the NFL making immediate impacts as rookies, regardless of where they were drafted, but especially guys who go in round one. It used to take two or three years. The school thought used to be, hey, you draft a receiver in three years, you're going to see how good he is. Why do you think it is as somebody who's going through the process right now, somebody who's coming up through playing college football at the highest level, going through this training, why is it that receivers are so ready to be immediate stars as soon as they put that draft cap on? Yeah, I would say just, you know, the the new age that we're in right now, um, you know, there's more competitive uh, um arenas that people can play in at a younger age, such as seven on seven tournaments that get them ready to play at bigger stages, I feel like. So once they get to the stages that, um, you know, they're supposed to be at, such as the NFL, if they're, you know, trying to get to that level, I feel like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really change. And I'm not saying that, you know, seven on seven is like the NFL or anything, but at the same time, you know, things like that can get you ready to compete at a really high level against really great competition. How much of those things help you? Because I feel like if you're running seven on sevens constantly, you're in one-on-one matchups and, you know, the margin for error is so slim. I know it's kind of stacked towards the offense a little bit, but, but how much better of a football player are you for having gone through those things? I would say, yeah, just growing up, being a younger age in high school, just going against some of the best, you know, uh, teams that had the best DBs or wherever from different states. So it was great being able to compete against people that you usually wouldn't be able to compete against, you know, your high school usual usual uh, season. So um, going against those guys and then being able to go against, like, you know, going to the opening and going to the five-star challenge, things like that, to be able to get you ready for guys that you're going to be able to see and go on and, and compete against in the next level, I would say really just help. For sure, not to get lost too far in the weeds on this one, but I've, I've always been curious, you know, you're going against guys one-on-one every day, right? And you're trying to refine your skills and you're trying to get better little by little each day. How much, what do you actually, as you're in those battles, in those seven-on-seven drills, what, what attributes, what parts of your skill set are you getting better at in, in those competitions? I would say just being in, uh, just a better overall receiver, understanding yeah. that you can see coverage better, and that you also can release and work on different releases, understanding that you might have a little bit more time because the quarterback's not being rushed, you know, just by, so just understanding those different things in your game to get better at every single play and every single route within the, within the, you know, the game or whatever um, you, you, you can get better. And then it helps you for the actual game once you're in a live situation. Oh, for sure. And I think that explains why these guys and and yourself included look like you're ready to jump in and make an immediate impact. You know, through this process, Kevin, who have been some of the teams that have been most involved and and reached out to you the most? I would say just a couple of teams. I mean, um, just overall at the combine, there was a lot of teams that just talked to me throughout the process. I would say the Cowboys, the Broncos, the Jets, you know, just those, those guys, you know, they were really talking to me. And then there was a lot of other teams that were talking to me as well. And, you know, when you go into meetings with these coaches and executives, I know that the combine is crazy. These teams set up suites in hotels and you're going and you get 15 minutes with this team, 10 minutes with that team. It's like speed dating going into the NFL draft, right? Mm-hmm. When you walk out of those meetings, you know, what do you hope their takeaway is about Kevin Austin Jr.? What do you hope that they remember the most? Just understanding that, you know, I'm a smart football player. My football IQ is um, very high. And also that, you know, I'm a very trustworthy and dependable person, you know, talking to me, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, someone that's, you know, slick or trying to get under you or whatever the case may be, you know, I'm very straightforward and I'm very uh, trustworthy. So I feel like, you know, trying to get 
very personable with every single uh, team that I talk to any way that I can to, you know, leave an impression was a, a key and very important. And that's certainly what these coaches are looking for, for sure. Hey, are there a couple of places you always hear about having to go on the whiteboard or having to break down a certain play or a series from a game? Is, is there a moment for you in your career so far that keeps coming up in these meetings? Um, I would just say just a couple of jobs that I had in the beginning of the season. Um, you know, teams just ask me why, why, what was the reason that happened? You know, you kind of kind of give them, give them a straightforward answer. For sure. You know, and it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the conversation, Kevin. But on the way out the door, I always like to give guys like you who are entering the draft the chance to give me your elevator pitch. If I was an NFL coach or a general manager and you had 30 seconds with me in the elevator to pitch Kevin Austin Jr. that they should draft you, what's that pitch? What are you telling them? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Um, I would say, Matt, uh, first of all, I'm a very I'm a playmaker. And I make plays every single day. Um, I'm a hard worker, and that I, I I'm I go to work, and I, every single teammate can trust me. Um, I would say that in a game, I make plays, and that I can get open, and you'll see that. And I'll work as hard as I can to be one of the best receivers on the team, and you'll see that I'm in. I'll be in and out the um, facility trying to be the best player I can and in and out the training room trying to be the best in physical shape that I can be in to be in the best possible situation for our team to win. He's Notre Dame wide receiver Kevin Austin Jr. You can follow him on Twitter at KA underscore SZN at underscore KA season. He's Kevin Austin Jr. Kevin, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road and best of luck in the draft. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Awesome stuff there from Kevin Austin Jr. Some team is going to get a playmaker by taking him in the NFL draft next month because we've seen it on the field against high-end competition. The numbers speak for themselves, and he's finally healthy. He's coming off a healthy season. He's going to be able to drop into a system where he's going to be a hard worker. You can just tell from the conversation. I'm really excited to see what some team does, whether putting him in the slot and letting him operate underneath, moving him around in the different spots in the offense, sending him on go routes and letting his speed do its thing and be the matchup nightmare that I think he has the chance to be. But some team is going to get really good value. On the other side, I want to touch on a couple of teams that have been flying under the radar but have really sneakily had some great free agent signings It might be some of the biggest winners of free agency so far. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside Fansided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Welcome back in, and thanks again to Kevin Austin Jr., Notre Dame's wide receiver and NFL draft hopeful. Really fun conversation, and I really appreciate the insight of why 7-on-7 is so important to the development of wide receivers and how that's been integral in guys like Jamar Chase and Chase Claypool and Devonta Chase and Jalen Waddle all making immediate impacts as rookies that we really haven't seen over the last decade or so until the last couple of years, just how important that experience was. So great conversation there. 
and just kind of tying a bow on the first wave of free agency, you know, we can talk all we want about the big winners, right? We could talk about the teams that did what they had to do to really take a step towards winning a Super Bowl next year. And I'm looking at the Los Angeles Chargers in that regard. And, you know, there might not be a more impactful move than getting J.C. Jackson and dropping him into that secondary when you look at what they're up against in that division. They brought back Mike Williams. They did what they needed to do to build around Justin Herbert. You look at the Buffalo Bills already, when you're looking at talent alone, a top three roster in the NFL, they get Von Miller. So those are the teams. I look at the the Rams winning the Super Bowl and bringing in Allen Robinson to complement Cooper Cup could be a really great move for them. Looking at what they did on defense on that side of the ball, a really great couple of moves to keep them at the top of the NFC. But I think the two teams that were flying under the radar a little bit until this week that help themselves the most and might be among the biggest winners in free agency are the Dolphins, who we talked really extensively about involving the Tyreek Hill trade, but also the Cincinnati Bengals. People seem to forget that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, that they led that Super Bowl in the fourth quarter, that they had the ball with the chance to go down and kick a game-tying field goal to send it to overtime or score a game-winning touchdown, But the offensive line let Joe Burrow down. He had all that pressure from Von Miller and forced the incompletion to end the game on fourth down. Well, what did the Bengals do? What did they need to do going into free agency? Their top priority was bolster the offensive line. And they did exactly that in in a significant manner. Not only signing Alex Kappa, who was the premier guard on the market, not only bringing in Ted Karras, who's going to be a significant upgrade along the interior, but they added Lael Collins, who is a top five offensive tackle in this league, at least in my opinion, a really physical player. And the, the Cincinnati Bengals went from having a top five quarterback in the league and the 31st ranked offensive line after Burrow was sacked the more than anybody in the league a year ago to having maybe a top 10 or 15 offensive line in the league. And it also opened up the opportunity for them to have three days of drafting the best player available when they go on the clock during the NFL draft. So you can go and you can target the best cornerback available in round one. You can add an elite linebacker. You can get a tight end capable of making an immediate impact and dropping into an offense around Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon. You can go and do all of those things. And some people look at what the Bengals have done and what they've built. Here's the dirty little secret. Their window's wide open. Joe Burrow is only going to get better from here, especially as Jamar Chase improves. And now that he has a significantly upgraded offensive line, you look at what they're able to do. Yes, they're going to have to extend him at some point. But when are they going to have to extend him? In 2024. And you look at the Bengals cap situation in 2024. They currently have $148 million in cap space, the 10th most cap space of any team in the NFL, and Joe Burrow is under the age of 25. Jamar Chase is under the age of 25. These are guys that are going to build together, grow together, and have the opportunity to win together for years to come. So I really like what the Bengals did to support Joe Burrow and keep building out a Super Bowl caliber roster. And, you know, they're not being talked about as one of the big winners because I don't think what they did sells. They didn't have to go out and get the elite playmaking wide receiver. They didn't need to be involved in the conversation for a Tyreek Hill and a trade. They didn't need to trade for Devontae Adams. They had the weapons. 
Now they went out and they got the offensive line to make sure those weapons are maximized. So I think Cincinnati has the chance to be even better this coming year and in years to come than they were in 2021. And I think the Dolphins did what they needed to do to leapfrog the rest of the AFC East, not named Buffalo. And I think that they might be in a position to go toe-to-toe with the Bills for that division if Tua takes the step that he has to take. So this has been a really fun show. Thanks to Kevin Austin Jr. of Notre Dame for dropping by. really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks, as always, to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson. He's instrumental in getting this podcast up and running each and every week. If you love the podcast, please subscribe to Stacking the Box. Leave a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store for Stacking the Box, mentioning the Matt Lombardo Show. And if you're a fan of my work, please follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Really excited for what we have in store next week. I'll talk to you then right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fanside and Stacking the Box feed. Talk to you next week. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.